1 Corinthians 11. We worked through the first three verses last week. We're going to get down to verse number 16 tonight. Let's read all 16 verses as we begin. Chapter 11, verse 1. This is God's Word. Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered." For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image of and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this calls ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and this time in your word, and we ask for your blessing on it. We long to know you more by coming to know your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that illuminates the word to us. And so we pray that you would help us during this time to know what your word says and to understand it to a point that we can apply it in our lives to grow, to grow to be more like Christ, to grow in our knowledge of the word, to grow in our ability to serve you through evangelism and then the vocation that you've placed us in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we concluded last time that Paul is here again answering a question sent to him. And it seems to be that that is asked, do do the women have to wear head coverings when we gather for worship? We're we're the church. We're doing things different than we've always done in that we're gathering as a church now. We're not gathering at a temple. We're not gathering for pagan worship. Those have been saved out of that. What, What should we do or not do? And their custom was that women kept their head covered in public and especially for public worship. And they said, but the women are coming into church and saying, well, we're free here because there's no more Jew nor Greek. There's no more male. There's no more female. There's no more rich. There's no more poor. We have Christian liberty. So surely we can uncover our heads in this public worship with our brothers and sisters in this body, this family here. And so Paul's having to write back to the Corinthian church and address what they should and shouldn't be doing. Now, I wanted to drive home heavily to you last time that What Paul's address here gets to is this idea of honor and worship. And that's very applicable in our day. We've met here to worship together to glorify God through this, the participation in this, what we do. No one of us should do anything that would dishonor ourselves or other people while we're gathered for worship. We should surely not do anything that would rob God's glory. We should also not do anything that would be a hindrance to those around us while we're worshiping the Lord. And certainly there's some things that are preferential. Those of you who sit over on this side, you're hotter. And those of you who sit on this side, you're colder. And you want your air turned up high. And, you want, and that's why there's a thermostat here and there's a thermostat there. And you can, you can sit on whichever side you'd like, right, for that. When it was the COVID and the mask thing, we would say, all right, you maskers, you sit over here. You anti-maskers, you sit over there. There are some things that are never going to suit everybody. You know, you like the screen, you don't like the screen. You like the hymnal, you don't like the hymnal. Those things are irrelevant. When it comes down to it, it's us worshiping with our saved spirits indwelled by God's Holy Spirit the best way we know how according to the Scripture. But when it gets to that, if we're doing things or not doing things that honor or dishonor our brothers or sisters in Christ, specifically in this context, those of our own household, husbands, your wives, wives, your husbands, children, your parents. Well, this is what Paul is writing to address here. Posture and public worship and how we relate to others when we gather for worship. I would say predominantly the modern church is not here. We're not up to this point of having to even worry about 1 Corinthians 11. 
Because we really actually didn't come to worship. We just came because it's what you're supposed to do. We felt like it was right. We wanted to be here. Maybe we wanted to talk to some people out front or maybe we needed to tell somebody something or it was just where we wanted to go because we don't want to be home bored. But we never intended to actually worship while we were here tonight. Did you worship while we were singing? I hope you did. Did you worship while we were praying? Do you intend to worship while there's preaching going on? The point of this gathering is to worship our God. And so before we even get into this tonight on the whole like, What was Paul telling them about their posture in worship? I wonder about our posture in general. Do we actually intend to gather here to worship God or do we have an ulterior motive for it? For far too many people, it's simply a social activity that's a part of our natural weekly routine. And we've kind of left God off. That's the problem to be addressed here more than what Paul does tonight. Now, Paul's going to address three basic concerns in this chapter and the next. In the specific context that we have here, he's committed to honoring God by applying the principles of Scripture to worship. Second, he was concerned that believers show due regard for one another in their worship time. Third, he was concerned with the testimony of the Corinthian worship meetings before unbelievers. So he gives a threefold answer here. Were women to or why were women to cover their heads in worship? Number one, it was true to divine commands. Number two, it honored husbands in worship. Number three, it reflected the cultural expectations of decency in their day. Last time we dealt with the first heading, the theology behind the instruction. And that comes from verse three. I can just read it to you. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. And we we dealt with that for 40 minutes last time. But, but just the conclusion you need as we get into now our second heading tonight, the instruction that he's given in this regard, if you leave off that theology, you're not going to take in this instruction. You're going to say, well, I interpret that different in our culture. Culture is irrelevant to biblical interpretation. Can I get an amen? If we interpret Bible based off culture, then the Bible is always changing and God is always changing. Culture is irrelevant to biblical interpretation. You say, well, we... Treat women differently now than Paul did in his day. Great. I think that's wonderful. But that doesn't change God's hierarchy of creation and role. And God has laid out plainly male, female, and the gender assignments and what our roles are to be before him. So we have to begin with that theology. From that theology, then, the instruction sort of flows naturally. Now, there's some things in this instruction that we're going to read it and we're going to say, Do what now? For the sake of the angels, what does he mean by that? We're going to get into some of those things. But what I want you to understand is if you can wrap your head around verse 3, the rest of this just kind of flows. The last thing he'll give us, and we'll get to this tonight as well, from verse 13 and on, is just some common sense around the instruction. So he gives them the theology. He gives them his answer to the question. This is what I instruct you to do. And then he just gives some common sense there. Now, 13, 14, 15, 16 are some verses that have been used by preachers and the church historically to really hurt some people. These verses were not intended for that. In fact, they're not the interpretation here. They weren't the answer. This was Paul using their culture to say, now you understand this. So wouldn't it just be logical to conclude that? So I want us to get into that as well. So we started with the theology behind the instruction. Now let's pick up tonight. Paul's actual instruction begins verse number four. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Now, Richard Pratt summarizes what we've read here. He says in Corinthian society, male head coverings dishonored God and female head coverings honored husbands. Therefore, wives were to wear head coverings in worship and men were not to wear head coverings in worship. In verse number four here, Paul addresses men first, saying that every man who prays or prophesies while his head is covered dishonors Christ, who should be his head. MacDonald, of all of the scholars that I read here, gives the most concise take on this. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, that is Christ. It is saying, in effect, that the man does not acknowledge Christ as his head. Thus, it is an act of gross disrespect. So Paul is not having to really make a point about this, I don't think, in their day and age. I'm going to give you some historical context here, maybe. 
But I think he's making a premise here. He's following the theology and saying, now the head of every man is Christ. So if a man were to pray with his head covered, physically or spiritually, outside of Christ, well, he's dishonoring Christ. Now, what's the historical context? In the Roman Empire, men commonly covered their heads with their togas. You know, they wore these togas. Well, when they would be involved in their pagan rituals, their pagan worships, they would pull this toga up over their head and it was part of what they did as part of their ritual. Now, we don't know for sure in the timeline of if and when this reached Corinth. So I can't tell you this is factual based off the timeline of what was going on in Corinth when Paul wrote this versus what was going on in the Roman Empire at what time. But it is pretty, pretty understandable that this would have been something that Paul was having to address here. It seems like Paul is at least writing warning against adopting the pagan practice in the worship of the church. Why is that a safe conclusion? Well, many chapters before this, he's had to deal with the same thing in the Corinthian church. He's had to say, well, look, this is what you did as pagans, but you can't be doing this down at the church. You're the church now. You, you, you're saints. You're called to be saints. Don't go back to doing those pagan things. So here again, we would understand as he writes, every man praying or prophesying with his head covered is dishonoring his head. Don't do this pagan thing as a part of your godly worship. Another way to go at this is for a man to cover his head in worship was the same as the pagans. So they're mixing false religion into the worship of Christ. That would dishonor Christ. We can fall prey to that very much in the church. A little bit of a stretch for me to preach to you about that from here. I'd like to, but Paul doesn't actually like get us there. But there is just a side note I'd give you as your pastor and we're deciding what we should or shouldn't be doing as the church, especially when we gather for worship. If things that the pagans do come into it, we've missed the mark. If we're saying to ourselves, well, you know, at Walmart, they, they do this, and this seems to work. Why shouldn't we try that over the church? Well, we have the Bible and we have the Holy Spirit. This is what we should do in regards to worship. Now, we want to also understand here that verse 4 is not a summary statement for all of the scriptures. In fact, if you were to look back at Exodus chapter 29, you'll find that God tells Aaron as he's serving as the high priest that he was to wear this headpiece. He was to have his head covered with that. So this would seem to be God and Paul contradicting themselves as Paul, if Paul were giving a general statement. So that's why I would go back to, he's not giving a general statement here. He's making a premise so that he can address the question of should women continue to wear their head coverings in church or not, which just to fill you in, get you to the end there, he's going to say, yes, they should go ahead and continue wearing their head coverings. Now, am I going to tell you all of you ladies, well, you should show up Sunday with something? Up? No, I'm not. That's not, that would be a physical understanding here there's a there's a spiritual understanding and that's where we want to end tonight in fact if we studied throughout church history not only did Aaron have this priestly head garment that he would wear but men throughout church history would cover their heads probably more for convenience than holiness uh, warmth or even decoration it was there were these head vestures that were always a part of uh, church history here so we we don't understand Paul here to be saying Men should never put anything on top of their heads in the church. So if you're going to use verse 4 and say, ah, see, men, that's why you take your head off when you come into a building. You're probably misinterpreting that verse and taking it a stretch further. In fact, I think you're okay to just say, it's just bad manners to wear a hat inside the church building or any building, right? Your head is covered by the roof, so you take your hat off. Well, then that's fine if that's the culture of your day and that's what you want to do there. Now, so... We would say Paul is teaching, responding to particular pagan influence in the church in Corinth. Another point of view is that in the Corinthian culture, a woman covered her head as an indication of two things, sexual modesty and submission to her husband's authority. So if men were covering their head, this would bring in gender confusion. For a man to wear a head covering symbolically communicated to the, the culture this bl blurring of gender roles. He, it would reflect bad upon not just the man, but the Christ that this man were to be worshiping there. A woman was supposed to cover her head. It showed that she's in submission to her husband's authority and that she is wearing this for the sake of sexual modesty. For the men to do, to do this would be to be as the woman was, and this is strictly forbidden according to the Scriptures. 
Men have men things to do. Women have women things to do in dress and action and behavior and speech and roles. I mean, you could just go on for days on this. And while we live in this age of equality, God has already given mankind equality through male-female roles. And when we're trying to blur the two, we're actually going to get the opposite of equality. We're going to get insanity. It's not the opposite of equality, but it rhymed. So this could be another problem Paul's talking about here in verse 4. Now the reference to praying or prophesying, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, tells us that Paul was specifically referring to men who were speaking publicly and prominently in the church meeting where they would be viewed as many as the representative of Jesus Christ. And that's no different than our day, right? So application from verse 4, men should lead in corporate worship. All of us. I think if you're a saved man in here tonight, you should have an active part in the corporate worship. Do you have to get on stage? Do you have to get behind the microphone? No, of course not. But for the sake of your row, for the sake of your people around you there, you should be actively worshiping. And guess what your wife and children will do behind you as you're actively worshiping? They will follow in the active worship of God. What does that specifically mean? Well, I, I don't know. But for sure it means pray when we're praying and sing when we're singing. If we're singing a song and dad's just sitting there just, you know, what what are the kids going to interpret from that? This song stinks because dad doesn't like it and he's not singing it, so I'm not going to sing it either. Dad likes the Titans, so I like the Titans. And dad don't like this song, so I don't like this song. If we're praying and dad's on his cell phone, what are the kids going to value as prayer? It's not important. Cell phones are way more important than prayer. If there's preaching going on and I'll just keep picking on the cell phone, dad's playing Tetris on his cell phone there. Well, then the kids are going to say, we have to sit through this 40 minutes a week, but it really doesn't benefit us any, so we're not going to pay attention either. But if dad's plugged in, if dad's taking notes, if dad's singing along, if dad's raising his hands, if dad says amen now and then, if dad leads in prayer, dad gives to the offering, if dad does whatever it is that we're doing as a worship to God, then those around dad are going to follow in that. Then the church has worship. Amen. Now, from there, in verse 5 and 6, Paul turns to the woman. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame, for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. So the woman's appropriate attire when praying or prophesying in the worship service. Men were to have their heads uncovered, but the wives were to keep their heads covered. They were to maintain, Paul says here, the appropriate cultural symbol, even when inside the gathering of the church. It would be a shame for you to go to the market with your head uncovered. So when you come to the church house for public worship, then just keep your head covered because it still be a shame to your, to your husband should you worship in this way. This is what he is saying. Chuck Swindoll says, to uncover their heads would have sent the message that they were no longer regarding their husbands as the head of the home. Now we understand why this was a tendency in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was highly spiritual. Of, of all the churches, Paul said of them, you're, you're the most gifted in the, the fruits, the gifts of the Spirit. And so this was a, a dynamic church, we would say, in our day and age. They would have guys on staff at their church. I don't know if they had staff, but they'd be writing books. Denominations would be public, publishing them. And then there'd be scandals about how they were living in chapter 5, right? This seems to happen even in our day. But these women were full of the Spirit. They were sound in the Word. And they were saying, when I come into worship... It's not my husband that I'm worried about. It's Jesus that I'm worried about. So I'm taking this thing off. I wear it for the sake of my husband out in public because that's what's expected of me. But in the gathering, I want this out of the way because I want to worship God freely. Understandable. But Paul is saying that's not how it works. The man is subject to Christ, verse 3. The woman to the man and Christ to God. God has a way he has an order for things. And when we get outside of the biblical, godly order of things, then we're not actually worshiping God. 
In this sense, to flip it back around on the women, for the women to remove their head covering, again, blurs the gender roles. It brings shame on the husband, though the woman simply probably intended here. I don't think she's trying to rebel against her husband. I think just trying to be focused on the Lord. But it brings shame on the husband in the public gathering. It brings confusion to the congregation. You could even go so far as to interpret verse 10 to say, it brought confusion to the angels. Paul likens women with their heads uncovered to those with shaved heads, which in their culture would be a a very shocking image. Now, we we don't want to miss, we don't want to go go in the wrong place here with what Paul says in verse number five. It would be a shocking image because of an implication of their day and age. If a man were to catch his wife in adultery, he would shave her head as a public example of this is what she's been doing. So in our day and age, a little different. You, you know, there's divorce proceedings or whatever else goes on there, right? It's not shaving their heads. Maybe we should do it the, the biblical way, right? In fact, maybe the women should have that right for the men or pluck his beard or something like that. Maybe there was a little bit more public ridicule for our private actions. There'd be a whole lot less sinning in our private actions. We've gotten away from that, haven't we, as a culture? So what Paul is saying here, and you, the, to give you some Bible reference, Numbers chapter 5 is, is where we, talk, we find this punishment for a woman guilty in adultery. So Paul says, just as shocking as it would be for her to have to go to the market with her head shaven, and we, we want to be careful with this regard because uh, take a lady going through chemo, her hair's going to all fall out, right? Or maybe there's, a, there's words for this, but hair loss, female... Pretty normal for men to get this hair loss going on here. It starts right here and works its way back. Or for men, it starts back here and works its way forward. What does this Tommy says? His hair goes what? Tommy says his hair goes way back. (laughs) This is pretty common for men. It's not so much for ladies. We know there are some rare instances and some health concerns there. And so we don't ever want to be insensitive to such things. Now with men, we'll just make fun of you for being bald because we're men and we're, we're clunky like that, right? But Paul says here, it would be... It would be shocking to go out and see Mrs. Jones and her head is shaven. You would think, well, her husband caught her sinning here. So he says, just as shocking as that would be, so will it be for us in the public gathering if the women show up and they're not wearing their head covering. Now, I do want to make a quick note here about church practice in regards to this particular scripture. If you took this this scripture along, if you read verse 5 and 6, What's a conclusion you should make, you could make about a woman's role in the public gatherings? Prophesy. That women could prophesy and what else? Pray. Pray, yeah. So if you took these verses along, you would say, oh, well, chance has been wrong for years about this thing. We should have a male pastor and a female pastor then. What's the problem with that? The other scriptures, okay? Is Paul writing to talk about what a woman can or cannot do in the public worship gathering besides this head covering. No, he's writing about the head covering. In writing about the head covering, he just kind of mentions this public praying or public prophesying here, which when we talk about prophesying in the New Testament, we're not talking about, not every instance, there are some instances, but typically in the church when you hear about prophesying, it's sharing a word of wisdom based off scripture. It is not foretelling the future. Now, there can be some instances where it would be that, like the Apostle John wrote down the letters to the seven churches and passed those along. In the book of Acts, you find about these, this man's daughters who prophesied that Paul, if he went to Rome, he was going to be killed. Right? So you do see it, some of that in the New Testament. But basically, once the church is established, you stop seeing old covenant prophesying and you start seeing what we would call new covenant prophesying, which is... We have God's completed word, so you're not going to get a word from the Lord. If you are sharing a word from the Lord, where did you get it? The word. You got it from the Bible, right? So I want to make that distinction there. So when Paul says she's praying or she's prophesying, he's just saying she's sharing a word from the Lord. Now, does this mean that women should never teach? Well, of course not. The other scriptures that deal with these things make this very clear to us. When we encounter these types of scriptures, we've got to keep in mind the actual topic of the warning. He's asking, answering a question about head coverings. We also keep a full account of scripture in mind before we make an argument from silence. To make the argument from verse five and six that it's okay for women to, to be the preacher in the church, 
would be to leave off other scriptures. Flip over to chapter 14. Same, le- same letter, right? Same church, same reason for writing, same everything. Same context here. But in chapter 14, verse 34 and 35, he goes on to say, I'll wait till I hear silence to talk to you about the women's silence. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. So I'm making two points to you here. One, don't, don't misinterpret the roles. Jesus, man, woman. Use verse three for that. That's, what, that's where he was given that information. Don't misinterpret it from verse five and six. If you are going to try to use verse five and six, you at least need to pull in verse chapter number 14. Give you some more proof texts here. First Timothy 2.12, he says, but I suffer a woman not to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So he's not saying women can't teach. He just says women should teach women. Men should teach men. This is the idea. And that's how our church's doctrinal statement reads. Titus 2, 3, 4, and 5, he says, The age women likewise, that they be in a behavior becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach who? The young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So Paul has been clear in, in the, the full scope of what he's written here the male-female role in regards to the church. So we we don't need to miss, and and people do. That's why I bring that up. You could pick up a commentary tonight and read it, and they would say, see, according to chapter 11, verse 5 and 6, then we should have women prophets in the church. It's a misinterpretation. Now he brings all this full circle in verse 7 through 12. Uh, Wiersbe gives my favorite commentary on these verses. He says, Man and woman belong to each other and need each other. If you, don't, if you don't hear or take anything else away from Paul's teachings from these verses, take that. That's what, he, that's, what, that's what Paul's point is in verse 3. God has an order for things, but it's not for one to be subject to the other and one to rule over the other, and that's that. It's that we're complementary to one another. What did God say about the man after he created him? He said it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, specifically what he meant there was he's not going to be able to fulfill one of my purposes that I have for him by himself. What was that purpose? To populate the earth. And so God made him a helper. And we, we understand those complementary roles. So I want you to think through these verses. We're going to go quickly through 7 through 12. But I want you to keep the theology of God's order from verse 3 in your mind as we go through these. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. The head of Christ is God. This is God's way. This is Paul communicating that. And then he's going to give some instruction. So verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. So both men and women are created in God's image, but in the man's role, he is the image and glory of God. The woman created as man's helper, Paul concludes, is the glory of man. Now you can romanticize that. And I think that's fine. And it, and it could come up with some pretty thoughts and ideas there. You can make it insignificant as you want and probably be offended by it there. But the woman, the, the term helper there is not a term of inferiority. It's a term of equality. She was created to do something that the man on his own could not do. God saw it wasn't good for the man to be alone, so he created the woman. The God-given completion to the role that he intended humans to have. Just top level there, it's dominion over creation. This is what God intended humans to do. They were to name, they were to keep, they were to dress, and they were to populate. And the man alone wasn't able to do this, and so God created the woman from the man as complementary beings to fulfill this role. So Paul's pointing to this interdependence of male-female in verses 8 through 12. And, and, And see... We as the church have got to, we've got to magnify this in the world. Because we, we've got a world just losing it over gender. I don't want to be a boy anymore, I want to be a girl. I don't want to be a girl anymore, I want to be a boy. And, and now it's, it's gone so far, that was when I was a kid. Now it's, well, 
I don't even know what I want, but I feel like I was meant to be uh, something else. Where did those thoughts come from? They didn't just originate out of the brain. They originated out of things that were put into the brain. And, and, and you can say at a young age, well, yeah, but I just don't feel comfortable with my own skin. How many, adults only answer this question. How many of you adults at a certain age didn't feel comfortable in your own skin? It's called coming of age. We all didn't feel comfortable. We started, boys, we started smelling out from our armpits. We didn't smell before. We went to school one day or homeschool one day or whatever it is you do. And somebody said, whew, you stink. I walked in tonight. Scotty and Penny led the teens tonight. I walked in and I said, smells like teen spirit in here. <laughs> it was awful in here. I appreciate some of you adults coming in. It smells a little better. And I'm not mad at you teens for that. You're at that time of life. It's a good thing. You don't feel comfortable in your own skin. So you learn to be comfortable in your own skin. You depend upon the Lord and the Bible and your parents. And you come around and you get to where you're supposed to be as God intended you to be. But church, if we're squirmish about the male role, the female role under Christ, then we're not going to be able to help the world who's saying, well, what about this? And what about that in regards to gender? We should just say, I'm proudly made as a man. And ladies, you say, I'm proudly made as a woman. And here's the beauty of me being made that way. And men, this is the beauty of me being made this way. And we show the world this joy and this beauty and this glory. And they'll say, well, I want to be like that. But for too long, you see, the world picked it up and said Walmart was doing it, so we should start doing it. And they never stopped down that path. And now the church doesn't even know what it believes or what it stands for. And the world's looking for us for answers. And we're just kind of stuttering and stammering over our own feet. It's been very, made very clear to us here. So this interdependence. Verse 8 and 9. He says, the man is not of the woman, the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So the woman is of the man. That means created for. We, <laughs> as a man, it's easy to, to misunderstand the Genesis verse. And then especially if you wanted to use the Corinthians verse as your proof text, because where did that woman come from? Brother Thomas taught us this Sunday night. Man came from dirt, but where did the woman come from? The rib. And so the man wants to take credit for that. Ha oh, ha, look what I did. My rib, right? No, God did this. And he sure did make something better looking than you out of your rib, for sure, right? He means created for, not created from or out of or to your glory. It's to God's glory. Paul's speaking here of the order of their creation. The man came first, then God created the woman. And it wasn't like he came first and he's the winner and she's second place. Just This is the order of their creation. And then that, that goes into the ordination of their functional roles, which for the man is to be the leader. Now, verse 10, so 8 and 9, we get that. Verse number 10, we find that the woman should have, he says, power. For this calls off the woman to have power on her head or a symbol of authority. She should have a symbol of authority on her head, which in Paul's day was simply the head covering. You wore that in public and it meant something. Now, even in today's world, in portions of the world, that's still the case. That's still their culture. In our day, it's, it would be other things. And as Americans, it's kind of other things from case to case, but we still understand what he means here. There are certain things that go along with what you've submitted yourself to or who, who or what your authority is here. And this is what he is saying here. In verse 10, she should have this symbol of authority on her head. And then in verse 11 and 12, he again drives home this point that man and woman are interdependent. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither one without the man. I'm not skipping the angels. I got the angels, their own little section down here in a minute, okay? So some of you are like, wait, you finished 10, you didn't talk about the angels. We'll get back to them. Footer, footer. Verse 11, nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so the man also by the woman, but all things of God. So the man and the woman are interdependent. Woman was created from man in the garden since, and I love Paul's logic here, the way he lays this out. Ever since then, all men have been born from who? Women. Even Jesus. But the most important point that he makes there in verse 11 and 12 is that all things come from where? God. So before one flexes their muscles and says, 
Well, I'm strong and I'm the man and I've got the authority. Or for one says, well, I'm glad I finally live in a culture where I don't have to listen to you, man, and I can do whatever I want to do. Why don't we just all conclude that the woman was created from the man, but every man since was created from the woman. And all these things are made by God. So God's the one who has the authority and God's the one who gets the glory. Amen. This should be our conclusion. Now, verse 10, the angels. She should have this symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, <laughs> I wish I could just say to you, this is exactly what this means and don't worry about it. But I can't. There's lots of speculation about this verse. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to speculate too. If you want to go read other people's speculation, you can do that. R.C. Sproul, I was reading R.C. Sproul today. He said, there's lots of speculation on these verses. Here's what I think. <laughs> so here's what Chance thinks based off reading MacArthur and Sproul and Pratt and Calvin and I don't know who else I read. 13 different commentaries that I read today. I'm trying to get down to the end of verse number 10 here. It seems that Paul is speaking clearly about the worship gathering, Right? Should the woman have the head covering on for the worship gathering? And he says in verse 10, because of the angels. So it's as if, now we know the angels are, are, are active in our, in our world. We don't always see them, but we are told to be careful because sometimes we've entertained angels unaware. So we know angels are active in our world. We know that angels serve as messengers of God. We know that angels serve as warriors of God. But Paul seems to bring into the account of the worship gathering here that angels are observing this. I'm go back to verse 4, man. Cell phone or worship. Cell phone or Bible. Cell phone or hymnal. Might be an angel sitting next to you. Might be an angel overhead observing. Are you honoring God in your worship and the fact that the angels would understand what's going on and be okay with it? And this is what he's saying, I think, to the ladies. For the sake of the angels who are observing our worship gatherings. Yes, you are free under Christ to go in here and take your head covering off because you're under the authority of your husband who's the under the authority of Christ and you don't need that cultural thing anymore. But the angels don't know your heart. The Lord knows your heart. And you're free in Christ according to what's going on in your conscience and your spirit. We dealt with that in chapter 6 on, right? Christian freedom, Christian liberty. But if it offends my brother, then I'm not going to do these things. And Paul says here, not even so much for the offense of your brother, but for the offense of the sinless, perfect servants of God who are angels, the angels, who might misunderstand what's going on because they don't understand your heart and say, whoa, 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 did all those ladies just divorce their husbands? He says, for that sake, leave your head covering on. Now, this is... <laughs> this is simply my speculation, but boy, it, it drives home a point to me of the utter importance of our actions, our posture, when we gather for worship. You say, well, the Lord knows my heart. Well, He does. The angels don't know your heart. And that child sitting across the row from you don't know your heart. And maybe someone who's unsaved. He, he talks about that in this chapter too, the unsaved. Maybe they don't know your heart. So what we do and we don't do, whether it's honoring or dishonoring to God or others, is very, very important. Then verse 13 on, he gives some common sense around the instruction. Verse 13, he just asks, judging yourselves. So he's not saying here, hey, here's a biblical understanding. He's just saying, use your own common sense. Use your logic. Judge for yourselves. Let me illustrate this for you. Brother Scotty, based off a of football game Monday night, who's the best team in all of college football in the world right now? Just judging yourself, Brother Scotty. <laughs> Sorry, I won't make you say it. I won't make you say it. That's right. We'll get Joy a new sweatshirt. She's got Alabama on back there, too. <laughs> Don't say nothing Ohio State over there. I see. Oh, my goodness. All right. Silliness aside, Paul, this is what Paul's saying. Judge within yourself. Even though it's logical, Brother Scotty still wants to say Alabama's still the best team. And Ben still wants to say Ohio State's the best team. So you're judging within yourselves, right? So Paul says, based off what I've said to you, you, you tell me what you think. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Now I want all of you to answer that. Not out loud, but to yourself. You answer that. Now ladies, I'm not saying your answer bases 
how you act Sunday at church differently, head covering or not. I'm saying in Paul's day with the Corinthian church and the model of their society at that time, given the angels, given the market, given the shaven heads, the divorce, all of this kind of stuff, answer Paul's question in yourself. Is it right for a woman to pray unto God uncovered? Now, the importance of that logical question is not so we determine what we should or shouldn't do physically in culture. The importance of that is so that we decide what we should or shouldn't do spiritually. Not that the physical doesn't matter, but for us, the application is spiritual. How does a woman have her head covered in the spiritual sense? She's under the authority of Christ. But in the husband and wife sense, under the authority of the man who's under the authority of Christ. And then Paul dealt a lot with singleness. Even in that regard, there would be elders, deacons. So answer within yourself again, thinking through all that. Is it right, is it comely that a woman pray to God uncovered? He's saying here, don't you just blindly follow what I've written. You judge within yourself. And I think the obvious answer here is no, of course not. But are we living that? Are we acting that way? Verse 14 and 15. Following that same logic, he gives an illustration. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her. For her hair is given her for a covering. Veil is the word there. Now, those are verses that I told you have been used historically in the church to berate people. The, the, the legalistic group that I ran with as a kid growing up, if a boy even had his hair touching his ears, am I lying, Steve? Well, I showed up to a basketball game, high school basketball game. One of my buddies' hair, he had a haircut just like mine. He's a pastor now too. His hair was touching his ears. Before they would let us play the game, we had to find some scissors and trim his hair because it went against the dress standards. Now they meant well. They were trying to keep these long-haired hippie boys that, you know, because all boys with long hair smoke marijuana, right? This is just how it works. They're trying to keep these long-haired hippie boys out of these good Christian schools. Well, you know what they did to a bunch of teenagers who we loved the Lord and we had a zeal and we were on fire for Him? They just annoyed us and they made us think they don't know the same Jesus I know. Now we weren't right. And we weren't, wrong, we weren't right being rebellious in our hearts toward these authority that God had put in our life. But I'm telling you, when you want to use these kind of verses outside of context and say, see, the Bible says it's a shame for you to have long hair. Is this Paul's point in chapter 11? No, Paul's point is it's a shame for you to have poor posture in worship, how you're living physically. And it even kind of makes the angels dumbfounded about your actions. So let's not berate people over the length of their hair or the shortness of their hair. Ladies, how many of you have been told if you were truly godly, you'd have long hair? I think every man in here has probably told a woman that at some point in his life. Any men in here who just don't like long hair on women? It's a thing, right? I don't know why, girls. I don't know. It's just how we are. But I'm, I'm not saying to you that it's a sin to have short hair. What I'm saying to you is it's a sin for any of us to tell you it's a sin to have short hair. Amen? <laughs> You get your hair done however you want. We don't care. Our role in that is what? Shut up and pay for it. <laughs> this is the man's role in that regard. What's the point? There are natural, physical differences between the men and the women. MacArthur goes here in the physical realm. He says, the male hormone testosterone speeds up the loss of hair in men. While estrogen causes women's hair to grow longer and for a longer time. Women are rarely bald, no matter how old. This physiology is reflected in most cultures in the custom of longer hair on women. God has given her hair as a covering to show tenderness, softness, and beauty. That's a, he makes a great point here. This is Paul simply addressing what we just sort of know because of nature. Or God, creation. So we'd be careful to not use this verse to say men shouldn't have long hair or women must have long hair. Those kinds of interpretations change from culture to culture. Those types of interpretations change from age to age. What's wrong with that then? Then the Bible changes and God changes. That's not what we want. Given Paul's teaching thus far, who should determine? And, and let's just use this example. The length of a young man's hair. 
his mother and his father. Who should determine the length of a young lady's hair? Her mother and her father. Who should determine the length of a wife's hair? Her husband. <laughs> Just kidding. Felt good to beat the pulpit, though. I might start that. Who, can I just pick on you? Would you rather me not pick on you? I'll pick on Miss Jones right here on the first row there. Mrs. Jones' husband likes her hair a little bit on the shorter side. And Mrs. Jones, for the glory of God, wants to keep the eye of her husband. Then she has her hair a little bit on the shorter side. And if Mrs. Jones' husband likes her hair a little bit, on, you get it, right? I don't have to go any further. It's not Valentine's Day yet, so we don't have to get romantic in church. They're interdependent. I, I had a beard for a while. I got tired of my beard. I wanted to get rid of my beard. I did it during COVID because it was a nice little test. I didn't get rid of my beard when I wanted to get rid of my beard because my wife kept saying to me, well, I think it looks handsome. I said, well, I'll keep the beard. And then one day she was gone for too long and she came home and I was bald-faced again. Is that, is, that, is that a problem? Does that, should that offend you? Should that, no. What should offend you is you showed up over here to worship and you run into somebody's wife in the lobby and they'll say, I can't stand my husband. That would be a little different. That'd be uncovering the head, right? Now, verse 16, he says, well, what if there's some who just want to fight about this? And there always are. Some of you are wired this way. You just like a good theological spar every now and again. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So what if some want to fight about this? Just, just go back to verse two. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances I delivered them unto you. Just keep the church tradition based off the scriptures. Paul says that he and the other church leaders, the churches of God, they have no other practice than having women cover their heads in public worship. It's just, this is how it's been. This is what we've always done. If you want to fight over it, just that's not. Let's just, just keep doing what we've been doing until we can get liberty to not do this anymore. Now, I'm done, but I want to apply this more to us. If you'll give me a few more minutes and then I'll let you go. What are you and I to do with all of this? I'll give you three things from Swindoll to start. First, he says... We need to remember that matters of fashion and style are culturally conditioned and personally applied. If you go through the whole Bible, you're not going to find a prescribed scissor length for haircuts. You're not going to find a knee rule for skirts. You're not going to find a dress code for Sunday worship. Whatever decisions we make about how we dress in our own culture, in our own time, we should strive to communicate to others on the outside what is true of us on the inside. I think a good word for that is just modesty. He says, secondly, we need to keep in mind that our styles should reflect our Christian identity as well as our sexual identity. So when it comes to our physical appearance, our hairstyle, our jewelry, our clothing, our cosmetics, our body art, do we make decisions based on the goal of glorifying God? Do we seek to point people to him or attract them to us? And finally, should we willingly adapt our styles? We should willingly adapt our styles to glorify God. I had never thought of this until I was reading Chuck Swindoll. He says, have you made a conscience decision to let go of your own image for his image? We were made in the image of God. That's whose image we should be reflecting on earth. This is why he saved us. Because in our sin state, we weren't reflecting his image, but he saved us and redeemed us so that we could have our sins forgiven and reflect his image. So why would we continue then trying to project our own image? It's a good point. Others are watching. Paul says angels are watching. Warren Wiersbe. He says, Paul did not say or even hint that difference meant inequality or inferiority. If there's to be peace in the church, then there must be some kind of order. An order of necessity involves rank. However, rank and quality are two different things. The captain has higher rank than the private, but the private may be a better man. Then I would say to you here that the easy end for understanding these 16 verses in chapter 11 is to go get a head cover and make sure your wife wears it to church. You could just say, well, I'm going to do what the preacher said. I'm going to do what the Bible says. So wife... I want you to wear this to church next Sunday. And if you don't do it, then you're not submitting to me. 
That would be the easy, easy way out. In reality, what Paul writes as necessary for the woman is actually the responsibility of her man. Man, that changes things a little, doesn't it? Yes, women, your, your sign is to be in subjection to your man, but men, your role in this is to be sure that she can be. So you, yourself, you have to be under the headship of Christ. Your wife can't be wearing her head covering of you, her submitted, submitted to as a man, if you're not submitted to Christ. And then, men, you must be in such a relationship with Christ and also with your wife that she just craves being under your headship. It shouldn't have to be a forced thing. In fact, men, this is a clue to you. If it's having to be a forced thing, You've missed two steps. You've missed being submitted to Christ and you've missed being in such a relationship with your wife and Christ that she's just happy that you're her husband and that she's under your authority. In fact, if we're leading our homes, if we're leading in our vocation, if we're leading in our church and our community and the way God has laid out for us, I think the women could say like Paul in verse number one. You still have your Bibles open? Look at verse one. Paul said there, follow me as I follow Christ. I think Paul's prescription to the women in this church is follow your husbands as they follow Christ. Maybe you're a young person and you're looking for a spouse. Here's a good guideline. Maybe you already have your spouse and this hasn't been going just right. That's the beauty of Christianity. Repent. If you're unsaved, right? Repent and be baptized and your sins will be forgiven. If you're sinning, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. If you're not being the right kind of husband that you need to be, well, you just, you, you admit that you've done it wrong and you start doing it right and you're on the right track. Just like that. Now there's an obvious further point here, but Paul doesn't seem to really go here in this text. I'll throw it out, but I just want to remind you, he doesn't go there in the text. There's certainly the idea of, well, I'm, I'm a man. I'm in submission to Christ. I'm trying to have a relationship with him and my wife and cultivate that, but she's just mean. Or she's just crazy or whatever words you get thrown out about women, right? Well, that's a totally different scenario. We get to that in a different passage. But I would encourage you based off this passage, to work on those things in your life and I think you'll see a woman who's right with God and who herself is submitted to Christ will have no problem with your authority. Ladies, if you have such a man, if he's submitted to Christ and he's cultivating a relationship with Christ and with you, keep your head covered. For the glory of God, keep your head covered. Submit to your man. Thank the Lord for him every single day. And be glad to see God's model glorified in the earth. Let's pray together. Father.